everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Global Shop Solutions ERP Software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Everybody, and welcome back to the Upset Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Cooper Klein and no Stone Hansen today. He's uh, taking care of some other things, but uh, in his stead, uh, someone, the next in our series of guests here, talked about the Cavs, and so we're very excited to have on the great Evan Damrell. Uh, am not Evan on Twitter. Uh, he does a lot of stuff, uh, all Cavs related. He's the editor in chief at Write Down Euclid, uh, editor for Fear the Sword, and of course, host of Locked On Cavs. I want to say the fifth locked on host we've had on. So uh, lots of fun stuff there. He does great work. I've been a fan of his for a while now. I've uh, for some reason, the, the Cavs locked on Cavs is one of the earlier locked on podcasts I, I latched onto in my summer where I was doing a ton of work and I just listened to podcast for, uh, you know, 20 hours a day, basically. So uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Excited to have you on Evan, my friend, how you doing? Well, I, I kind of hire you as like a personal hype man, but I, I'm good, man. Thanks for, <clears throat> thanks for having me and um interesting times for these cleveland cavaliers i definitely would say they are in an interesting position i think just in general in terms of this offseason and i think the draft is a good way to start i don't think it's going to give you much insight into what maybe their free agency plans are but yeah they are they are one of the more interesting teams and i'm glad you uh kind of picked through the roster of locked on hosts there's there's a lot of us and most of them can't stand me just because my incessant dad jokes and trying to force Andre Drummond on people when we're doing hypothetical trades with one another uh well I'm a big dad joke guy as as Coop knows uh not as bad as Stone but a pretty a pretty big dad joke guy uh before we get too into the Cavs Coop my friend how are you doing yeah, it's the it's the only real comedian on the show who doesn't rely ninety uh, percent on dad jokes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I enjoy them. I I drop a lot of dad jokes myself. Uh, I think it's part of the bit at this point. I think we just sort of leaned into it. Uh, I mean, the Cavs got the got the guy who I wanted the Rockets to get last year in the draft. Uh, had an awesome year. Super excited to talk about just a team that I didn't expect this kind of a year from, but was just so much fun to watch someone who just loves defense and rotations and defensive playmaking. Uh, they have some of my favorite young players in the league and one of my favorite defensive schemes uh, in the entire league. Yeah. There's a lot of funk here to pick through it. And I think the place to start is just with a breakdown of last season. Um, the highs of, of the, the Cavs 21, 22 season were very high. Uh, I think especially when Ricky Rubio was healthy, they looked like a top four team in, in the Eastern conference um and it, there was a time in the year i think they had the best defensive rating by like a wide margin if i remember correctly like there was a ton of there was a ton of of like fun stuff going on darius garland got to an all-star game uh but it really felt like the wagon wheels kind of started to fall off as the season went along maybe they showed their youth maybe it was just i i honestly think a lot of it was just ricky rubio getting hurt like i think he was so vital to what they did and and losing him the way they did kind of uh hurt their season but I think you'd be hard pressed to not call it a success uh, for a young team to take the jump. They did um, Evan, how would you kind of describe the Cavs season and what do you think it kind of foretells going forward? Well, it's obviously a pie in the sky scenario overall for Cleveland because expectations were pretty low, just at least externally. If you're looking at this team from the outside, looking in, I think internally there's a lot of folks in the organization who would probably say, Hey, <clears throat> we didn't necessarily expect this kind of year. 
But if you ask J.B. Bickerstaff, if you ask these players, like they're tired of being underestimated. They're tired of being just kind of looked down upon. They're tired of like, I, I know it's a lot of sports cliches. Like they're them dogs is what they like to say a lot too. And a lot of the barking and things like that. But like there's something endearing about this Cavs team. And I think you hit the, the nail on the head a little bit just with the Ricky Rubio injury kind of being the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I think a lot of it did start with Colin Sexton going down for the year when he tore his meniscus. And then I think Rubio tearing his ACL just kind of really hurt the Cavs more than it helped them, obviously, just because he really unlocked a lot of things for that bench unit and also just unlocked a lot of things for Darius Garland and just that team as well. Like, it's weird that you can put that much on one player, but we were having this conversation, my co-host and I, Chris Manning, about we were talking about six man of the year and how Kevin Love, like we were making a case for him. And I said, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation if Ricky Rubio was probably healthy the entire year. Like we'd be talking about how Ricky Rubio made the case for six man of the year. And then like, Hey, Kevin Love had a pretty dang good season too, but it's because Ricky Rubio really unlocked him as a bench player. But I think the Rubio injury was the catalyst of things because this Cavs team was kind of playing at a, at a pace and a rate that wasn't sustainable, at least for an 82 game season. You could kind of see some of the cracks heading into the all-star break where they just looked tired. They looked a little worn out. They looked like they were just kind of, you know, not used to the grind of an 82 game year. And I think that's expected with Evan Mobley. That's expected with Darius Garland, who, up to this point, this is the healthiest season he's played. It's expected of Isaac Okoro, even though he played all 82 games last year, he's just playing heavy minutes in general. Like a lot of guys just kind of hit that collective wall at once. And I think with Rubio going down, with Sexton going down, with Garland being in and out with injuries, with Allen being out with an injury, with Mobley being out with that elbow injury, like you had to ask a lot of guys who were maybe used to playing like a certain style or a certain skill set or just like in a certain way to maybe go level up like a peg or two just to make them try and grind it out to the remainder of the season. But at the same time, asking more of some guys who might be not fully comfortable doing that and just, just this juncture in their NBA career, it kind of burned them out a little bit. And I think you just saw it collectively hit a wall all at the same time. I think youth and inexperience is another big part of it. Um, the, the play in tournament was definitely an interesting experience for the Cavs. I think having to draw Brooklyn and Atlanta back to back like that was tough but I was kind of stunned they lost to the Hawks just because it felt like they had the game in the bag and granted they go play the heat in the first round and maybe they take one possibly two from Miami but I don't see them getting out of the first round but like you said this was a pie in the sky scenario maybe a little bit of a bittersweet ending if you ask this Cavs team just how it went overall just considering how the season went for them but it it set the table really well for them long term because you have three core building blocks in Garland, Mobley, and Allen. And now there's going to be a lot of like external pressure and expectations because the narratives completely shift that they're going to be a playoff team next year. Now this off season is going to be really interesting to see, okay, what are these guys going to do through the draft free agency? You name it to kind of maximize the potential of this team so that maybe you don't see this burnout or you're seeing Darius Garland just playing at like this nuclear level for such a long time that, you know, isn't sustainable. And then in turn, you don't burn him out at the end of the season so that you're actually able to get over that hump and actually maybe make a serious postseason run. Yeah. I think that's, that's the best way to look at it, right? Like this was the first year in what will eventually be a consistent Cavs playoff team, not a, 
flash in the pan. You know, we've seen sort of flash in the pan playoff teams before, and I don't think that's what this was. Uh, It is a young roster, and you brought up that core trio, and I think that's where I want to go. Garland was someone who... Um, I, I, Stone has never been more right on a, on a prospect than he had was on Darius Garland. He was, he had Garland like two, like he was super high on him. He thought he was a, a future all-star and, and he was right. You know, I, I think there were some people who thought that Garland was like a reach at five when they took him. Um, not, not everyone, but I think there was some of that, especially had they had Colin Sexton on the roster, but he proved himself to be a true kind of build around type point guard. Jared Allen uh, was a contract that got some heat. Uh, I think that was last offseason. And, and people were like, is this really, you know, is he really worth this type of money? And he proved he was. He was also, you know, an all-star caliber big. He uh, was one of the more underrated defenders in the league and also an excellent offensive center. Evan Mobley, the third pick, um, just just excellent all-around player with, with a lot of upside. Evan, what do you think of that trio? And what do you think the roster around them needs to look like to maximize those three? Well, it's it's a weird spot. They're kind of not weird, but a blessing in disguise, I guess, that it's it's not an easy task building out of the shadow of LeBron James. We're just trying to pick up the pieces after LeBron leaves town. Cleveland's done it twice. Miami, it took them a little bit to pivot, but I think they're better off. The Lakers are in for a pretty rude awakening, even with Anthony Davis under contract, because I think their time's going to come with LeBron as well. But the Cavs have kind of done it their way. They've been unapologetically themselves. I I applaud them because like you said, they did have Colin Sexton on the roster, but that didn't deter them from taking Darius Garland that if they believed he was the best player available at that fifth overall pick, you grab him and you don't hesitate. And then you just, you you take talent because there's a reason why you're picking the top five in the draft or even the top three, if you're in Cleveland's case, when it comes to Evan Mobley, like there's a reason why you're picking there. So like, even though Jared Allen's on the roster, that shouldn't deter you from taking Evan Mobley. And I think just thankfully Houston not seeing the viable fit between Jared Allen and Christian Wood and maybe some frugality on Tillman Fertitta's part just in terms of the extension, maybe help Cleveland's case as well in getting him. So, and it's a guy that they've just kind of always kept an eye on and a guy they've always been a fan of. I think Kobe Altman's just time with Team USA has just really opened up a lot of back channels for him where he connects with a lot of dudes who are in that Team USA ecosystem. <clears throat> and it's it's a really good place for the Cavs to be in. Like I, I like I keep saying it. It's just, they're all young. Like Jared Allen. Yes, there were questions about that contract extension, but I think I understood it just because even though he had a few years in the league at that time, he's still relatively young in the grand scheme of just the overall NBA like dichotomy of players. And then Evan Mobley's still so unrefined as a player offensively but defensively he's so sound and the sky's the limit for his potential because even if you look at pictures of him right now he's looking a little less like a baby and a little bit more like a man just in the face and in his body and it's kind of cool to see and then Darius Garland is probably going to be signed to a max contract I'd say this offseason and I had I he was a bit of a mystery for me when Cleveland took him just because he didn't play much at all for Vanderbilt just due to the meniscal tear and shut it down for the year and got ready for the NBA and everything else. But I was talking to a few scouts and they're like, if he played the entire college season, he probably could have given job Morant like a serious run for his money as like the top point guard just based on your preference of kind of what you're looking for in terms of a player, but I think those three kind of clicking and I think the Cavs just kind of playing this a little bit of a funky, unconventional 
line up with three seven footers on the floor and marking in Allen and Mobley at the same time, but more so just Mobley and Allen because some people viewed Mobley as a center coming into this and maybe less of a power forward, but Cleveland is strictly playing him at the four and slowly integrating him at the five because he wasn't playing the five until the end of his rookie season. It was just out of necessity of Jared Allen being down. Um, It's a really good place for them to be. And I think, that's the exciting part of it is you already saw maybe some just new developments and new glimpses from Jared Allen's game and maybe just some more efficiency and just different defensive stuff that you didn't see from the year prior. And it's just natural and safe to assume that like, you're going to see more from Darius Garland next year. You're going to see more from Evan Mobley next year. Like you're going to see more and more and more. And that's, what's kind of so exciting is this is your big three, which is weird to say, Again, that you're only a couple years removed from LeBron leaving town a second time, and you're already sitting in a beautiful place where you could have the first playoff Cavs team on your hands without LeBron James since the 97-98 season, which, funnily enough, is something that the, the three guys are talking about all take pride in because they're just like, yeah, if you talk about the Cavs, you talk about LeBron. So let's just kind of pave our own path and make our own identity. So people just know us as the Cavs instead of like the team LeBron played for and carried every step of the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're sort of at an interesting spot this offseason. And and where I wanted to start with that is with um, Colin Sexton. And then also just throw Ricky Rubio in here real fast because we talked about um, how valuable we thought he was. I guess the question is, do you think they have a future with the Cavs? And if so, what does their role kind of look like? I I think they'll both be back. I think there's a mutual interest from both Ricky Rubio's camp and Colin Sexton's camp. And then the Cavs with both of those groups as well, just been bringing them back. But it's fair to question, at least in the Colin Sexton side of things, he went down 10, 11 games into the season this year. He kind of had like a dramatic rule shift where they the Cavs were kind of putting the ball in his hands even less and just asking him to be more of a an offensive cog that complements and accentuates what Garland, Mobley, and Allen were because it's your clear trio there. But <clears throat> when he went down, the Cavs continued winning and they continued winning a lot in an emphatic fashion. And you just kept the ball rolling from there. So there's some fair questions, but I think just the mutual desire to keep him in Cleveland helps the Cavs a little bit. And I know like I've heard at least teams like Detroit are interested. I know teams like New York are interested. I know teams like the Pacers are interested in Sexton and they're probably going to be in San Antonio as well, but it's just fair to speculate. Maybe these are just teams putting stuff in the ether as well, just to generate speculation too. Um, but I, I, I don't know if the Cavs will necessarily let Colin test the waters of free agency. I feel like they're not going to like sign him immediately, but they want to try and wrap this up as soon as possible. And just right now, it just comes down to finding that middle ground where they both feel comfortable in terms of what he's making financially, where Cleveland was thinking maybe like 16 to 18 million annually and Colin Sexton's camp is like we want to be paid starting guard money which is starting at 20 million so you have to kind of work your way back from your respective points to find that middle spot and then maybe you just figure out the terms and other things too like years and just like any clauses and options at the end of the contract as well but again that's just something you kind of have to keep an eye on and see where things unfold from there because 
there's a reason why we're on this podcast and not working the NBA front office. So I don't want to say like, I fully know what the terms are going to be, but um, that's interesting. But the Rubio thing, I think he'll be back for the Cavs. I, I have my reservations and doubts on how I, I, I have my reservations and doubts because before he went down with his knee injury, you started to see some of the cracks. Cause a lot of people were like touting the idea of Olympic Ricky because during that prior like during the prior off season he was going absolutely bananas um at the olympic games and people thought he was going to kind of carry that swagger in with him from the olympics to the Cavs that season and you didn't you saw it at first but then you started to see like the player that he kind of was with the timberwolves were like he's a very solid backup point guard who can like bring you some juice and bring you some energy but like the shooting numbers i didn't think were sustainable and then like there's obviously just concerns with his like health and longevity and unfortunately he blew at his knee and the tricky thing is is this is the second time he has torn that acl in that knee and it's fair to say like hey how available are you going to be this season do the Cavs need to maybe go even if they bring back Rubio, do they need to bring like in another backup point guard as well to either act as like your primary backup point with like Rubio being like that third guard slash the veteran guard and maybe just like an overabundance and spoils of wealth just when he's fully healthy and available. But I think it's fair to question like, will he be healthy? Will he be available just because of the knee injury injuries in history? And also are you going to get the same player post-op and just post-recovery? Because and the same thing can be asked about Sexton too. Like, is Sexton going to be the same player? Like, yeah, he posted a video the other day of him dunking, and it's the first time he's done it in months. But that's uh, that's on a one-on-none scenario. That's not on a five-on-five situation where there's full contact and everyone's just playing. Like, it's actually – like because the, the game actually counts at that point. So, like, it's a completely different scenario too. So – it's it's interesting to think i think they'll both be back with the Cavs, but i don't think you should rest your laurels on just that i think you need to kind of be aggressive maybe break a few eggs in terms of just some pieces you acquired in this rebuild whether it's isaac okoro or maybe use larry mark in his contract or kevin loves mammoth last year in his deal to maybe go make like a real move if it's possible including the draft pick you have this year and the future picks down the line as well because if truly you believe you have something special, I don't think that should like, obviously you need to be planning for two, three years down the line and like, not just think like you shouldn't be planning for just next season. You should be planning for the next couple seasons as well. Like that's a fireball offense in the NBA. If you're just like, okay, our entire off season is focused on the 2022, 23 season. But I think you need to find ways to maximize the potential of this team because you clearly had something here and you can't just run it back and just hope like, okay, we're just going to bring back Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio and roll it out and see what we have from there. Yeah, I think Rubio specifically is the type of guy who I get worried coming off of an injury because he already had to win with such thin margins, you know, versus Sexton. Like, I have my quarrels with Sexton as a player, right? But, like, like the burst was good enough that he could lose, like, a quarter of that and still get by guys. I I worry about, like, we've seen this happen before with guys. Like, you think of big ACL tears hurting yeah. players who are super athletes because, like, oh, they rely so much on their athleticism. But lots of times who it really hurts are guys like uh, like Rubio or I think a classic example is Adam Morrison where it's, like, you win at such tight margins. So it's, like, once you lose that step, it's just there's no winning anymore. So let's just see how that goes. 
that does take me to kind of the rest of the roster. And, and Evan, you don't have to hit on any of these guys in specific, or, and you definitely don't have to go through all of them because there's a lot of names here. There's a lot of guys oh, yeah. on this team who I kind of like. Um, but I think I, my overarching question is just sort of, what does the team need to look like around the big three to really start to get to a point where maybe not this year, but in the future, we're thinking, you know, championships or, or close to it, at least some type of contention. Um, uh, the guys on the roster currently, Kevin Love, obviously had a almost six man of the year season, great shooter, still a great passer, still a, a rough defender who needs to be put in good situations. Lowry Markinen was the three last year, uh, had kind of a funky year. Chetty Osman is, is kind of a shooting wing, does some passing. Uh, the defense, I have like, I think is a question, but I've, I also think there's maybe more to it. Uh, Karis LeVert, of course, they traded for kind of that secondary shot creator. Um, Isaac Okoro is the one. So you did two great pods. Uh, it was the ups and downs of, of Isaac Okoro or, or the highs and lows or uh, some sort of catchy title. Uh, I'll, I'll link I think, those. In I, think, I think it was just the good and the bad of Isaac Okoro. There you go. Like you talk about the good with him, but you'll also have to talk about the bad with him. Yeah. Like, he's a little polarizing. Yeah. And, and I loved those and I will link those down in the description, but I think he's someone who's really interesting. Dean Wade, Dylan Windler, Lamar Stevens. Those are kind of the eight guys who kind of make up the rest of this roster right now. Uh, all of them I find interesting. Again, you don't have to go through all of them, but just in general, what should the roster begin to look like going forward? What are the types of players you need that, that you think would really maximize Garland, Mobley, and Allen? So the Karis LeVert question is always one I kind of like to unpack first because he didn't really get a full rough or fair shot with the Cavs since coming here because shockingly a guy who has like a foot injury history has dealt with foot injuries with the case time with the Cavs and he just didn't finally kind of finally didn't get fully acclimated and a lot of people were out and down on him just because a lot of people viewed him maybe as the acquisition the Cavs needed to push themselves over the edge. And I, I felt that way at first. I'm just like, yeah, Levert, maybe can give you a little bit of what you lost of Colin Sexton and you had Rajon Rondo on the roster at the time. And maybe he can give you like a sixth of what Ricky Rubio was giving you in terms of playmaking, but he's able to spell Darius Garland for an extra five to 10 minutes, just so you can kind of keep him fresh for a possible postseason run. So Levert, I think, will be back next season. He won't be signed to an extension. And I think especially if they sign Sexton to one, doesn't necessarily mean they need to trade Levert just because he's on an expiring contract. But like you bring him back in, you give him the benefit of the doubt, you give him an offseason to get healthy, you let him get familiar in training camp, just like really get that full familiarity and just like especially understanding the defensive schemes and concepts, which is where the Cavs kind of really start things just because J.B. Bickerstaff is a defensive first coach. And you work your way forward from there, and he can kind of maybe be your one of your main guards off the bench. He can be your sixth man, or he can be your starting two guard if you want to bring Sexton off the bench as your sixth man. So, like, I think if we're just counting guys, because the Cavs usually go about eight, nine deep, that's Garland, Mobley, Allen, Sexton, Lavert. So, there is five right there. And then you have Kevin Love. I think he'll be back as well, just because he's kind of integral to that locker room. He is finally happy in cleveland after signing that extension and he's the first time he's been fully healthy in a long long time this is the only time he hasn't missed any time to injury he only missed it just due to covid which is kind of crazy to think about just considering it's kevin love and he's pretty off injured and i think him flipping the notion about the team usa thing is just 
it's been a fun story. And I think the Cavs want to ride this out and keep this with him. And I think they take a little bit of pride in the fact that he is the last domino standing from that championship squad, which again is weird to think about just because he's the guy who was always linked in trade rumors during the heyday of the Cavs. And then Larry Markkinen is a little odd. I was talking to some folks in the team the other day about this, where from an analytics standpoint, it makes sense just because Markkinen in theory isn't a small forward, but he isn't a center, obviously either. He's more of like a pseudo power forward, but like you can't, he, he he's a little anemic in terms of just being a traditional big in terms of post-ups and rebounding and things like that. But the thought process behind having him out on the floor and just being your quote unquote small forward is he provides rebounding on defense just in theory because he's seven feet tall and like he obviously is another body that can kind of crash the glass or box out an opponent just to form a bit of a wall to make life easier for Mobley and Allen. And while he is a streaky shooter, he does unlock things for the Cavs because if you look at it, their starting five last season to start the year was Garland, Sexton, Markman, Mobley, Allen. Of those players, Darius Garland and Malari Markin are like your true, true shooters where Colin Sexton is a good shooter, but his shot profile just doesn't say that like he likes to shoot it from the perimeter. So you need spacing somewhere, especially if you're going to play two seven footers, especially one being like your key prize rookie that you don't want to stunt his growth and development. So I understand why the Cavs maybe did that especially with Okoro just kind of being so far behind in terms of his shooting, just his shooting overall and him being kind of like a polarizing player to begin with. But Markkinen, I also think will be back next year, but I think he'll be more of the available trade chips for Cleveland because let's be frank, a seven footer that has the ability to shoot is going to intrigue most, if not any NBA team. And it would be remiss of Cleveland not to consider like a trade offer. Like I think a lot of Cavs fans thinking like Markkinen is like untouchable or a little bit foolish here that if there's like a tangible upgrade or a way to get like an actual traditional wing player. So you're not watching Larry Markin and kind of get hunted, especially like you saw it on display in the plan tournament. Like you watched Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and then Trey young with the Hawks just take turns hunting for marketing in isolation and then forcing him to defend them on the perimeter and watching them blow past him because he's just, that's where he is more of a traditional big man. He has heavier feet and he's not a very good defender. And I think, having Mobley and Allen behind him is just that wall kind of cover up a lot of those blemishes that he provides you defensively. And I think at times when he started Isaac Coro out there as a perimeter defender, he kind of relieved some of the pressure marketing base as well. So like it was an interesting storm the Cavs were riding and they found a way to make marketing work. But now it's fair to question, like, can they keep doing this whole big lineup of theirs just because there's now 82 games plus of footage of Cleveland playing big on a night's night basis. And I think at times teams are starting to figure out that marketing was one of the weakest links in that starting five. And you could kind of crumble it down from there. There's other ways you could make the Cavs uncomfortable. Like Milwaukee is a good example or Miami did this too, where they're just like, okay, we're going to throw drew holiday and, throw most of our defensive or Jimmy Butler and throw all of our defensive attention at Darius Garland and force him to try and pass, kick the ball off to somebody else and try and force Cleveland to create offense through not the hands of Darius Garland. And when you didn't have Ricky Rubio and you didn't have Colin Sexton and Karis Levert still struggling to get acclimated, like that's a pretty rough thing to watch unfold if you're a Cavs fan. And I think 
that's where we you asked me this before and i didn't properly answer so my apologies but like you need to find those connector pieces and i wrote a piece about this for write down euclid but if you watch teams like in the finals right now whether it's boston where they have marcus smart or they have Derek white or they have al horford or they have grant williams or if you look at golden state who has jordan pool or um andre guadala or andrew wiggins or hell even um gary payton as well like they have all these different guys that clearly have like defined skill sets and roles but can give you a little bit extra where like the the good and the bad with isaac okoro was a good i i'm not to toot my own horn but like a good series of episodes for us but also we talked about the good and bad of marketing we're like he clearly has a defined role as a shooter. What can you ask of him if you're the Cavs to kind of provide you a little bit more? So like, can he provide you some playmaking at the elbow? Can he provide you some just like something other than just spacing? Can he provide, like, I, don't, I think defense is kind of out of the question. So offensively, what else can he provide you? So he can kind of unlock things and make life easier for Garland and Mobley and Allen too. And I think at that point, you kind of get to the eyes Kokoro question of the things because Entering his sophomore season, I would say expectations were not like sky high, but he had a pretty solid rookie campaign. He had all rookie honors. Like he wasn't bad for the fifth overall pick and like not a very strong draft outside of obviously Ant and LaMelo. And like after that, and there's like Halliburton too, but it's a little tricky just because Halliburton told the Cavs he wasn't going to work out for him, not to draft him because he didn't see the point in going there. Um, but the Okoro aspect is interesting because like defensively you can kind of see at times where in his, cause I asked JV Bickerstaff about this, like, where do you see like the, the tangible like growth for Isaac, Isaac just in general. And he's just like, well, his rookie season, he played hard on defense. So what we would tell him is just like, Isaac go out there, defend the opposing team's best perimeter player and play them hard for 48 minutes. And if you foul out, you foul out. That's fine. This is a learning experience. We're not going to win a lot this year. And now that the game slowed down for him, he has a better understanding of like offensive schemes and concepts and also what Cleveland's trying to run defensively. And he can kind of be a bit of like that middle linebacker where he sees things differently. And you see some like really interesting stuff, like some really interesting juice on him defensively where like, you can see the vision and then there's at times where the Cavs try to do some funky stuff with him offensively to not make him just like a just a one-dimensional player where he's actually viable on both ends that was hit or miss so like during summer league they used him as their starting point guard and in turn kind of gave fans trepidations about Evan Mobley because they didn't bring a point guard to summer league and when Mobley did play like you could see the clear frustrations of not having like an actual ball handler out there and like it was a mixed bag but like a coro it's a lot of the stuff that was i wouldn't say an issue but maybe it was like a bit of a red flag coming out of auburn where he wasn't completely broken fundamentally wise in terms of shooting like in terms of shooting mechanics but like he he's rough like he needs some refining he needs to round out his game a lot too and that's still kind of the question. You're waiting for him to maybe take that leap. You're waiting for him to 
provides you a little bit of something where you weren't watching teams like when they're playing Boston. I noticed this especially where like they would have Jason Tatum or especially Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart sag off of a core and just kind of act as like a middle linebacker or just a free safety on defense. And it killed the Cavs in a lot of possessions. And JB Bickerstaff had to pull a core at times too and maybe find more creative ways just to get Cleveland unlocked offensively. And I think if a core and he owned up to it at his exit interviews where he's just like, I sucked as a shooter this year. And that's like where I really need to get better is just as a shooting player, as shooting as a player. And you hope that he's somehow able to become a bit more of a respectable shooter. So teams can kind of just take him seriously because people like, will like say like, Oh, he's just like Andre Roberson where people are just going to completely ignore him and then foul him intentionally because he's not the best free throw shooter. And there were times Isaac wasn't the most, complete player from the free throw line but like again he's not like completely broken and i don't think it's like a huge miss for cleveland just yes you can make the argument for halliburton but at the same time like okoro is a bench player for most teams and he could start for some teams and i think that in itself is a win if you're just looking at like a top five pick and uh, at least in that draft, the context of that draft class outside of like some of the top guys like Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball. But those four guys I've already talked about would probably be key pieces of this rotation. So that's eight guys already to begin with. And then you look at the, the guys you mentioned, like Dean Wade, fun undrafted free agents out of Kansas State. He spent a lot of time developing with the then Canton Charge, now Cleveland Charge, um, their G League affiliate. And he, that's a success for that that program. Like they they found a UDFA and they developed him off of a two-way contract into not like a guy you can just say like, okay, he's going to get 10-ish minutes a night, any given night. But like there were times Cleveland asked him to start at the three because they like to play big and they didn't look completely lost because Dean Wade was ready and understood the concepts and understood maybe the assignment of playing the three. And he admitted it's a bit of an adjustment, just having to play in isolation and space in that spot versus just having to like play a traditional four, but it, it he's, he's solid. Uh, Dylan Windler is not, I mean, like, it's disappointing you feel for him as a player just because he's dealt with so many injury issues. And I think him just never getting right physically is just kind of in the detriment of his NBA career. And you just root for his individual success at this point. But I think Cleveland views him one as a trade chip, just because he's a smaller contract that you can maybe nestle in with like a bigger contract and maybe go big name hunting if you absolutely wanted to, but they, maybe they see something there. And he spent a lot of time with the charge last season just to, kind of keep him and his career afloat so i don't think he's necessarily like a long-term piece but like if he's here it's not the end of the world either like he's he's a wing who can theoretically provide you shooting and some defense and like the rebounding thing at belmont has always been the big thing about him that stood out like that's obviously translated to the next level like quickly like he's a pretty good rebounder for the Cavs and I did a feature on him when i was with forbes at the time and he's like yeah i try to model my game after joe ingles and unfortunately it just didn't work out that way but you could kind of see the vision then and if he's able to get fully healthy and maybe find something if you can get like a a, a pale comparison to joe angles like that's not bad either and then lamar stevens is just another fun story he's like dean wade um udfa out of penn state is really really good for the nittany lions he has been just a fun interesting player for cleveland where 
he came in as a four and the Cavs are kind of trying to transform him into a three so they can play him more at that spot because he is one of their better defenders, especially on the perimeter and um, is not a good shooter. He doesn't have the concerns Isaac Okoro has. I think his ceiling is kind of reached at this point, but there's some interesting stuff there. And I think again, like if you're a team like Cleveland and you need to consistently be planning for the future and just kind of filling in depth when you can, Guys like Dean Wade, guys like Lamar Stevens are wins in that regard. And then maybe you just keep utilizing this charge program you developed because you have one of your assistants from the last few years, Dan Giroux, running the show down there now. So you keep him kind of just churning out this back end talent for you so that you have like these 10th, 11th, 12th man guys that can kind of step up when you need them to just because injuries are inevitable. They do happen to any team. You don't wish them on anyone, but they do happen. And it's better to have guys that are prepared than dudes you're signing off the streets who clearly are not equipped at that time to be playing NBA level ball. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they're just consistently getting wings too, which matters. I think they've recognized that their star trio is uh, Mobley, Garland, and Allen, and that's two bigs and a guard. You need to fill out the the rest of that roster with wings. And I think they've done an admirable job with that. Okoro interests me. I was really high on him. I really liked him. Um, but now that the team isn't dependent on him hitting, I worry that he'll fall through the cracks a little bit. I'm interested to see how it goes. I still have some belief in him, but sometimes like, go ahead. It's a little tricky because I think he's having some growing pains too, because when he was, he was really frustrated at one point this season offensively. And he kind of opened up to the media a little bit and said like, this is the first time in my career. I'm like learning to play like truly off ball. And I have to learn to like, cut and create certain like like play within the flow of the offense and not like expect the ball in my hands and create my own shot because that's necessarily not his game either so i think there's going to be growing pains but i'm still high on a potential just because when it clicks you see it you're like okay yeah this this kid's going to be pretty good he's going to be all right like yeah he has his boards but like some of those concerns are a little soothed out because his shots falling or the Cavs are just putting him in certain spots on the floor. Where, like he's getting easier looks at the bucket so he can, can maintain like his attention on both ends of the floor. And also maybe he's just feeling a little bit more confident in his shot as well. Yeah, absolutely. He's kind of, go ahead. Just real, t- real quick. He's just kind of tough because to me, I had him, I think I had a third on my board in his year. I was huge on a Coro. I think the big sell was the, the strength-based creation and finishing uh, and the ability to pass out of those drives. And it's just tough when you're not drawing closeouts. So you can't yeah. really be a wing and you're playing with two bigs who can't really shoot. So you can't be a big and screen. And it's just really yeah. difficult if he could get to shooting where he can draw at least draw half a closeout. I think he's got the physical ability to like leverage the advantage of half a closeout. Mm-hmm but he's getting no closeout. So it's really, really tough. And he's tough. Yeah. And like you said, he doesn't know how to cut, you know, he's still got to figure that out. And I think that's sort of like the natural, like, Oh, you're not going to figure out how to shoot. Our bigs aren't going to figure out how to shoot. You have to cut and be a lead at it because you have the tools, but it takes time. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see how he develops. Uh, Really intrigued. Still love a Coro. Just an awesome, awesome player. Yeah, I think we're I think we're mostly on the same page there. And, and that does take me to the draft itself. And before we talk about players, I do think you mentioned the trades a couple of times. You mentioned Windler, maybe big fish hunting. 
Uh, you know, Kevin Love is a big contract. If they wanted to yeah. match Max with Max, they could do that. Um, Evan, what do you think the likelihood of keeping 14 is? And if they were to trade it, who do you think some targets might be? I mean, when you're when you're in a position like Cleveland's, it would be remiss of you as a team not to consider like those opportunities. But also, when you look at it from a financial standpoint, heading into this offseason, they are kind of limited in what their options are. They, they can use the non-taxpayer mid-level which i think is about 10.3 million off the top of my head so like they could use that to sign a combination of players and you'd assume maybe ricky rubio gets a chunk of that just to maybe pay for a little bit of a higher upside veteran or just a veteran who has a little bit more of a just he has a little bit more of a worth on the open market so you have to consider that but if you wanted to go bigger name hunting like Guys to maybe keep an eye on, like if somehow DeJounte Murray didn't want to be in San Antonio, if you're the Cavs, like you try and find a way to like work with San Antonio to get him to Cleveland. Like I know Laurie Markman wanted to sign at the Spurs before he ended up with the Cavs because the Cavs were just kind of able to meet what Chicago was looking for because Markman didn't want to stay with the Bulls and he wanted to move on but Chicago was more than comfortable to say like, hey, we still kind of control your contract financially. We don't really want to trade you. We'd like to make this work because, again, a seven-footer that could shoot is a pretty enticing player and I think a valuable trade chip if you're Chicago as well. And then, like, when things kind of broke down, the Cavs stepped in and they offered Larry Nance Jr. And Chicago's just like, we don't really want Larry Nance Jr. We want a first-round pick. So the Cavs went to Portland, got a first-round pick for Larry Nance Jr. That's where we're at now. So the Cavs our team, I think where they're aware that their options are kind of limited because of that love contract. Like you mentioned, like that's a lot of money on your payroll and that's eating up a lot of your cap space to begin with, but you need to be cognizant of the fact that yes, Kevin Love is making 30 million and this is the last year of his deal, but let's just assume Darius Garland gets signed to like a rookie max extension or something pretty close to it. You probably or more than likely we'll just replace like, it's just like a Lego piece. Like you pull out the Kevin Love Lego and place the Darius Garland Lego in the same place. And it fills the same exact spot in your cap sheet. So in terms of just big name hunting, yeah, if you wanted to use Kevin Love's contract, that's fine. But do you want to ask yourself how much money do you want to commit financially to all this? Because you have to pay Garland. You likely will pay Colin Sexton. Okoro is extension eligible. And if he does blossom and kind of fix out, iron out some of the lumps in his game, like you have to reward that because I think at least with his pre-existing package, like he's going to get paid pretty well for like what he is as a player. And then Evan Mobley's contract's looming too. And you'd assume he's probably going to get a rookie max extension as well, just based on his potential as a player. So there's some names you could hunt, but again, like, DeJounte Murray just makes a lot of sense. I blame the Caius Duncan for putting this idea in my head to begin with because the ideal pairing between Murray and Garland would be really fun, I think, just because of just like Murray's defensive upside, just like the playmaking responsibilities and just like the thunder and lightning dynamic is like what I like to call it. Like that would be fun, but I know Gordon Hayward's a name worth watching. I know Jeremy Grant's a player of the Cavs have just kind of snitched around a lot on too, just because he kind of maybe fits the mold more so of what they're looking for in terms of a three and also JD Baker staff, if you wanted to play a little bit bigger as well too, like there's some trade targets. And again, you probably will end up picking at 14 if you're the Cavs and maybe holding on to this player. But if a team like Detroit comes calling saying like, Hey, 
if a starting package is centered around like Larry Marketing and 14 and it gets you it nets you Jeremy Grant because they aren't interested in taking Portland's pick at seven, it'd be remiss of the Cavs not to take that opportunity because that's a that's an all-star caliber player, at least at one point, and a pretty clear tangible upgrade at a position of need on your roster. And it also kind of consolidates some roster space a little bit too, because if you give up marketing plus a pick for Grant, that's two less mouths to feed in your offense. It also just kind of opens things up for you. Maybe not just financially, but rotation wise as well too, which is something you kind of got to be cognizant of as you go through these rebuilds, because you have so many young players on your roster and you have to get them shots and looks and opportunities to help them grow and develop and actually be contributing while they're making money on your payroll too. So it's always a tricky fluid thing. And I think it's a sliding scale if you're Cleveland, because you're going from, picking in the top five for the last few years and eight if with Colin Sexton to now you're picking in the very end of the lottery and you are maybe more so focused on, yeah, we could grab a rookie that could contribute possibly like a year or two from now, or even in his rookie season, or do we trade this pick to kind of maximize the potential? And yeah, like Hayward, like I said, Grant with the Pistons, um, Murray with the Spurs, I'm sure there's going to be some other fun names that are thrown out there between now and then, especially if the Sexton thing kind of goes sideways, like if the Cavs are able to agree to a sign and trade with like a team like Indiana or New York and maybe bring back some, bring back some players in that regard. That'd be interesting too, but it's all going to be fascinating to watch develop. And like I kind of said at the top, the draft will be like the first viewpoint of what the, how the Cavs are prioritizing their offseason needs but it really does start and end with Colin Sexton's contract. If they assign him to an extension, you kind of have like a clear path to say like, okay, they still need X, Y, and Z after addressing maybe A and B through the draft and signing or signing and trading or saying goodbye to Colin Sexton. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. The the Cavs are one of my kind of teams to watch this offseason. I think there's a lot of um, dominoes to fall. Uh, but if they do keep the pick and, and thinking first through like the lens of most realistic, like, like they've been linked to a ton of guys again, as you, as you've sort of mentioned, like they've had to talk, they've talked to like a ton of different guys because you have to cast such a wide net when you're at 14 versus when you're in the top five. Um, but if you had to kind of narrow it down to just like a couple guys who are like the most realistic picks here at 14, I, so it's interesting. I would say I would have said Terry Eason a few days ago from LSU because he kind of fits that mold of a four that you could slowly transform into more of a three. And just in terms of what you're playing, and I shouldn't even say three because the Cavs just, or J.D. Bickerstaff at least calls them smalls, bigs, and then sometimes refers to them as wings. And he is a proponent of just getting the best players on the floor for certain scenarios. But if you're looking at 14, I think Malachi Branham is probably at the top of their boards, but I, I do wonder if he maybe got a promise from a team because he did say he had an ankle injury from what I've gathered. And it's been reported then that that's why he didn't work out for Cleveland um, last week on Wednesday, which had him, Eason, Liddell, um, and a couple of others just in attendance as well. Um, if not him, I think maybe they look at Wisconsin's Johnny Davis as well. I think it's a guy who they're still trying to get into work out before just the pre-draft process and maybe can try and maybe just get him to look at him too. And it, it's an interesting like school of thought if you're Cleveland because you could maybe take 
like Oche Abaji from Kansas is also an option too, because you need to get a wing. Like, I think that's just the onset. You need to get like some wing depth. You need to get some type of shooting. You maybe look towards the future. And that's just kind of like the two schools of thought. Like, do you go completely swing for the fences? You go on upside and say like, okay, historically speaking, guys who are picked 14th overall don't contribute much to the rookie season. Is this a guy who we draft, bring in, let him develop at the end of our bench? He gets some small minutes at like the end of our rotation, but maybe he spends a lot of time with the charge developing because they run the same system and it's the same ecosystem. And it gives you just an opportunity to let them learn from their mistakes and iron out some of their deficiencies. And then in their sophomore season and beyond, they're a bit more of a contributor. And that's just kind of maybe where you look at like a guy like Diang who out of New Zealand, who is, I think is interesting, but I don't know if he'll be available for the Cavs just because there are a lot of teams that just been reported that are intrigued with his upside, but you're really looking at wing players at this point. And I think Johnny Davis makes a modicum of sense. I think Malachi Brandon makes a lot of sense. I think um, Diang makes a lot of sense. My Terry Eason point is like, he hasn't been performing well in his workouts apparently, and he may slide a little bit because of it, but like, I think he'll be in play for the Cavs at 14 there as well. And I'm going to throw EJ Liddell in there too, just because I, it's a guy I know the Cavs have been like watching closely. They've been scouting a lot of Ohio state games, not just because the Buckeyes play in the same state as them, but because they were a good program this year. And like a lot of it was watching Branham, but obviously Liddell was like one of the other good, really good players for the Buckeyes. And I think that's a, maybe not like the top five of like their big board, but he's in the top 10 and he could, some people would say maybe a bit of a reach at 14, but he would make a little bit of sense too. If you're just Cleveland and maybe you're saying like, okay, this is a guy we can kind of be, have be our Kevin Love replacement next season. Or maybe we have him play like that three, four, five, a la like a Grant Williams with Boston. Like, again, it's not one-on-one one in terms of playing and comparing players, but like there is some stuff you can glean from other teams because it's a copycat league and there's ways you can use Liddell creatively. If you're the Cavs as a team who likes to play bigger, that would make a lot of sense. And that's just kind of endeared him to me a little bit, just in terms of like guys at 14. Yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely like a ton of options and I think it's going to be really an interesting view into their process to see who they end up taking and, and above who, you know, cause some guys that you mentioned aren't going to be there. You know, you mentioned Jang, he could or could not be there. Uh, Branham mm-hmm. is kind of the same way. I think like, like I'm guessing Daniels isn't here. Dyson Daniels is gone. I think Dyson Daniels is gone because he had a growth spurt and he's showing that he's shooting. And I'm yeah. just like, cause like, that's a, I, that's a guy I knew like the Cavs like had hard eyes on just because he's a bigger point guard who plays defense. Well, he's a, con- I mean, he's a connector too. Like you mentioned, yeah. like, like their biggest need is just connecting guys. Like, I think he yeah. does that he, well. He's a, he'd be a great connector piece for them. Like, but it's okay. Yeah. There's, well, there's... I know it's definitely, it's tough to decide like where, like which guys are going to fall, you know, like you mentioned Johnny, Johnny Davis, there was a time he seemed like a top six pick, like, mm-hmm. um, and now he's talked about like comfortably in this 14 range. Um, I think, you know, uh, Keegan Murray's not going to be here, but I think maybe Benedict Matherin could be um as mm-hmm. crazy as the, again that would have sounded two months ago like i think he could fall to here uh yep. there, it seems to be this is a draft where the top kind of 15 guys it's going to be who falls in love with who 
um, because there's no consensus. There's no like, this is where the value on this guy is. I think that's also going to limit trade-ups. I don't think we're going to see a ton of like movement in this, in like the five to 13 range, 14 range outside of probably the trailblazers doing something. But I just think like, like uh, past four in this draft, it's kind of just, I have the beholder. There's some guys who seem clearly like top 10 picks, but then after that, it's just kind of up in the air. Um, Coop, is there anyone that stands out to you as maybe a realistic pick that we haven't mentioned yet? Yeah. uh, Realistically, uh, Y'all kind of hit on everybody. I, I think that Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, kind of the last guy in that kind of area uh, as a connector who can also maybe run some bench units, can hit spot ups, can play rotational defense. I think he can maybe come in as like an interesting bench wing as a rookie, see if he can do something, uh, see if you can fix some of the, the point of attack stuff, the screen navigation, stuff like that. Uh, but then also see if you can start working on uh, tapping into that, that pick and roll upside a little bit older, but I think that he'd be a perfect fit here. And this seems to be his range after his, his combine jump. And then someone who this might be a little bit high for him, but Blake Wesley out of Notre Dame, I think interesting bet as a backup primary or can be a secondary next to Garland uh, or just a shooter. If you can also defend, he covers up a lot of the, you know, Garland is tiny and not a great defender. Uh, Blake Wesley is skinny, but in a few years, you can see him being a beast at the point of attack. He's so long, so smart, so aggressive. And in the meantime, maybe he plays more off ball, off the bench. You you see what you can get the shooting and finishing levels up to. Uh, just could be interesting. I, I don't actually know what his range is at this point because – it seems like it's everywhere, <laughs> but I would love to see the Cavs pick him up here at, at 14. Yeah, for sure. I think something specific about Wesley, Johnny Davis, Jalen Williams, and Malachi Branham that I like is that they're connectors, but I think they're also bets at secondary creators, which I think is if things don't work out with Colin Sexton and if Karis LeVert can't get healthy, uh, a need in the future for this team. Like uh, yeah. in, in three, four years, there, there needs to be another creator on here, unless Evan Mobley is just like like a kind of unprecedented type of, of forward creator, which he could be. I think that's like the upside with him is that he could be that. But I think taking him better as a secondary creator would make a lot of sense. Um, On to like kind of the dream pick, like Evan, if you had, if you were Kobe Altman and you could kind of throw the card in at 14, who would be your dream selection here? I mean, dream selection obviously is just Jabari Smith somehow, some way falls completely to Cleveland at 14. But jokes aside, um, realistically, probably Malachi Branham for them, just because I think you <clears throat> really hit the nail on the head where there's already just some like pre package intrigue where like you can ask him to contribute right away. But like the upside there as a creator and as like a secondary player that you can plug next to Garland down the line, especially if things don't work out with Sexton. And if the um, just like the Karis Levert fit doesn't work, you can use him more as a trade chip too. Like, again, let's say the Cavs do extend Colin Sexton and they also draft Branham it doesn't mean they're going to trade Levert right away necessarily. It just means you have an overabundance of just players at that position where there's always going to be a desire, at least in terms of just Branham and Levert. And you can kind of just use those either as a trade asset, but then also it makes Levert more expendable. It makes Sexton more expendable, especially if you truly believe in your player development program. 
and also just like the trajectory of what Branham is kind of giving you. And like, ideally just at 14, I think that's my preference in terms of picks. But again, I think if you're the Cavs, you have to consider all options too. Like I, I, again, like I'm not an expert on this, but like just watching a lot of Branham stuff, I'm like, yeah, he, he seems to like give or have a lot of what the Cavs are looking for just right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, let's move on to, uh, so the, so the Cavs have two second round picks um 39 and 58 uh 39 is a real pick like that's a pick that i'm guessing oh, yeah. they that will be taken with um uh, an eye towards actually caring about that player it could be a like a stash guy but um i think it's a real pick right but 58 isn't you know 58 is just that that's how i like i like to determine it as it's just not a real pick like last year i think 58 was jericho sims which was more real than like some of the guys who went ahead of him like balsa Vicha and Philip Petrasev and, and, yeah. you know, Mark Segarowski, who didn't get a contract. So like, there's still a little bit of that, like maybe, but in general kind of 58 seems to be kind of the faker mix, but 39, I think there's some intrigue there. Uh, I think the, they, they could be looking to um, quite a few scenarios here because they do need to be taking bets on, on future talent, because like you mentioned, like it doesn't feel like there's a, a set future core here or anything because you mentioned Windler's still kind of a question Stevens is good not great Dean Wade is good not great uh and then eventually guys like Kevin Love is gonna are, are gonna age out so I think yeah. there could be some some real uh fun stuff going on here so Evan are there any names that kind of stand out to you at 39 yeah uh I I know the Cavs have like an interest in Toledo's Ryan Rollins I think there's a mutual interest between those two he could possibly be <clears throat> in play at 39 I know Maybe Max Christie if he falls. I think Dale and Terry if he happens to be there at 39 just as a bigger point guard um, could be like one of those guys you take at 39 and you like truly let like just grow and develop in your ecosystem with the G League and then maybe you bring him in next year or midway into next year as like Garland's just like running mate and backup. So like you finally address like the elephant in the room where like, hey, we had a little bit of something here with Ricky Rubio, but we have really yet to address like this is Darius Garland's primary backup. And granted, they could do it through free agency, and this this is completely thrown out the window. But I know Wendell Moore was in for a workout on Monday as we're recording this week, and maybe he falls to them at thirty nine too. There's like you said, thirty nine is a pretty real pick for them, just in terms of like talent. I think David Roddy is just like just an interesting player, just in terms of like what Cleveland looks for in terms of defenders. Um, but I think there's an opportunity here to grab a guy and some of those names I mentioned do make a little bit of sense just at 39 and maybe if they're realistically available there, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, these are opportunities for the Cavs to kind of grow and nurture players that, like you said, like maybe cause the, dra- the draft is a crash shoot, but like kind of guys like in the, not in a similar vein to like maybe like a step or two above like the, the Dean Wades and Lamar Stevens of the worlds where like they're already good possibly great and they need time to season and develop and you'd rather have them within your team's ecosystem and environment versus like trying to sign them as UDFAs or having to play the game of gambling on prospects trading for them or things like that too and I think 39 is a pretty good sweet spot for them, it's tough because you gave up 31 for the Karis LeVert trade, and you really look at that now, and you're just like, damn, you wish you had that, because having 31 and 39 if you're Cleveland is a pretty good place to be if you want to address future depth. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's definitely a lot of names here. Uh, I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. could make some sense as sort of a... Um, yeah, if he falls, he makes he makes some sense too. Yeah, like a developmental Lowry marketing sort of. Um, I think that's kind of a way to look at that. There's some guys who I generally like to talk about in this range, but I don't think make a ton of sense for the Cavs specifically. Like Jabari Walker, his sell to me is that he can be a small ball center. Um, I don't think the Cavs really care for a small ball center, to be honest, like just from what I've heard. And I don't think he's quite wingy enough to be the big three. Um, so yeah. I, he's kind of different. If uh, the one guy I would really, really love to see here, if he falls is Kennedy Chandler. Um, I'm kind of high on Chandler. I think he gets a little underrated because he's small, but he mentioned kind of addressing potential future backup point guards. I think having someone who can get to the rim, uh, would go a long way towards making kind of the backup units work here. I could see him really being fun in the Kevin Love DHO game if Chandler's ready by the time Love is still on the team. I think that would be mm-hmm. super fun. Um, just just some guys like that. Cooper, are there any names that kind of pop to you here? Yeah, I think uh, Stanley Amude out of Arkansas, 6-6, big guard slash wing slash forward. Uh, can do some play finishing, can do a little bit of self-creation at the rim, uh, knocks down spot-up threes at a pretty solid rate, if I recall correctly, uh, defends really physically. I uh, just think solid bet. Maybe I think he's going to be closer available to their their second pick but at 58, but just a fun second-round bet. I'd love to see them take a swing on Trevor Keels out of Duke if he ends up at 38. Uh, just tough bigger, strong-ish guard who has some upside, some flashes, uh, super, super young. Uh, so you're really like kind of taking that bet, seeing, oh, can he develop both next to Garland and uh, and as his backup? I think he can maybe hit some spot-ups just basically and, and play a little bit of wing defense. Uh, you mentioned Wendell Moore already. I really like that, just an interesting connector who can maybe do a little bit more with different units. And then uh, – I bring him up all the time, but Alondes Williams, uh, I think he'll be closer to to 58 as well, but I think he should be closer to the 39th pick. Uh, Just potential to be a super connector, can get to the rim, 6'4", 6'5", can maybe shoot it a little bit. Not the best defender, but uh, just somebody who brings you something that you don't have at the moment and just a wizard with the ball in his hands. Creates advantages just with his passing. Uh, without even really having to do anything and can just sometimes get to the rim at will, I think could be a really fun second round bet for the Cavs specifically. Yeah. I, I think the overall theme we've kind of hit on is that there's just a lot of options. And oh, I think yeah. this is going to be a very telling draft for the Cavs. Like I'm very excited to hear Evan, your like particular analysis of what they do, because I think not only are they picking two players and potentially three players, um, but they're also kind of setting themselves up for what the next couple of years and and the rest of this off season is going to look like. So I think there's a lot of intrigue here. Um, are there any other guys, Evan, that, you know, like obviously 58 UDFA, it's, it's kind of difficult, but are there any other guys that kind of stand out to you as maybe if they fall to that range, you'd be interested in that, uh, you know, like obviously 58, if I were to guess is more than likely they're not going to get a contract or is going to get stashed, but is there anyone that does kind of stand out to you? I, I know they're fans, the, 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 them as in the Cavs are fans of Caleb Houston's game. I think he has the skill set and the toolbox a little bit to maybe be like a modern wing, but like he needs a lot of time and like a pretty big runway to grow and develop. And maybe 
like you said, at 58, he doesn't get signed over contract. Maybe he becomes one of your two-way guys because you want to just keep churning out like rotation talent. I think it's easier maybe if you draft a guy at 58 instead of having to fight all 30 teams. Like he maybe makes a little bit of sense. I know they had Mateo Spagnolo in for a workout on Monday. Maybe he could be a guy they take at 58 if he happens to be available to. Um, Keon Ellis, I heard a little bit of shooting upwards for some teams, but if he happens to be there just because he's an older prospect as a senior, if he's available at 58, like I know he had a good three-on-three workout for the Cavs on Monday as well. So if he happens to be there, like he makes some sense, but just a general overall theme for the Cavs are you should obviously take the mindset of like, Hey, let's find the best player available. But with the caveat, like you can kind of draft for fit just based on where you're at, just roster wise, where I joked about this a little bit, like, let's say um, Chet Holmgren happens to be available at 14. You ignore the fact that you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen on your roster. You take Chet and then you kind of figure it out from there. But if you're like at in the second round here and like you, the best player you have ranked out is a small forward or wing type player. Like that makes a lot of sense. But if it's a point guard, shooting guard, center, whatever, like that's there's an opportunity to develop depth here. And it may not even be like meaningful, meaningful depth, but I think again, no disrespect to Ed Davis or even taco fall. But I think when you have a lot of guys going down, whether it's because of injuries or COVID, you want to maybe have a little bit more of a reliable, steady option. And maybe not this year, but next year or the following year that you're just kind of conditioning at the G League level. And then maybe is like your back-end bench piece that could kind of maybe be like that. Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens-esque player were like, good, not great, but like you're solid enough that, hey, if we ask you to play 20, 25 minutes because of an injury, you're not going to go out there and crap your pants on the floor. Like you'll actually be competent enough to kind of keep the keep the keep 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 things flowing in the general scheme of the offense and defense yeah absolutely uh i think that's that's about all i have on the caps um evan this has been great and and before we get out of here we like to ask our our guests kind of what their general dream outcome is and uh you know they can be a guy at 14 a guy at 39 or it could be a trade or just in general like what is your kind of dream outcome here for the Cavs? my dream outcome is for cleveland to take a wing type player that has more shooting upside than anything, just because again, I have, I had my reservations when Cleveland said they were going to be playing bigger. And I thought maybe this is going to be a wrinkle and when it kind of stops working for them, they'll go back to play more traditional basketball, but you need to have just like a contingency plan behind that where maybe you have some options that I think you need to just address this wing depth issue. Like I didn't talk about Jetty Osmond much just because I don't think he has much of a future with Cleveland. He may be under contract, but he's a player who's often in the coach's doghouse because he is so hot and cold offensively. And he's so just, he has happy feet defensively that like he frustrates the coaching staff. And I think you need to round up your wing depth a little bit. And I like, like I said, connector pieces are a big thing as well. And if you're able to grab a player like that, like that's your ideal scenario, but this draft is a good opportunity to maybe grab some guys in the second round that you can utilize, grow and develop, maybe not for this season, but next season and beyond so that you're able to have like quality second or even third string depth, depending on where you're picking this player and how you're kind of utilizing and developing them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm definitely with you. And like I like I mentioned, like they are the cows are a team I am watching very intently uh, in this draft and just seeing where they go. I they're, think they're fascinating, man. Like, they yeah, are, they are. They well, just many ways. And just the jump they made to still fascinates me, like like going from in one offseason, like 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 you mentioned, like the prediction for them this season was like second worst team in the year, third worst team in the East, probably like, I, you know, it was like Magic, Detroit and then Cleveland right there. So just the jump they took and and kind of how that changes for your franchise is, I think, is always interesting. They also have a ton of chips that I think are big chips this offseason. So really excited to watch it and really excited to follow your work. Um, as you do it, I will link everything down below, including those two pods that you did on I- Isaac Coro. But just so that people can hear it from your mouth, uh, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, sure thing. So I'm on Twitter or really any social media at uh, amnotevan. As we mentioned at the top, you can follow me on Twitter. Just engage with me on there. Um, that's a good way just to kind of like check up on me on day to day, but like my main work is with meta bulletins right down at Euclid. I am the EIC slash owner slash only person running the show there. So it's Facebook's equivalent of sub sorry, meta's equivalent of Substack. And if you want to subscribe, there's absolutely no pressure. Just needs a Facebook account or email address. It's free. If you want to pay me five bucks a month or $50 for the year, that means a lot, but again, no pressure. Uh, some stuff goes behind a paywall, but like it's it's a lot of Cavs. It's my primary place for my Cavs coverage, but I do some Brown stuff too. When I'm usually just criticizing the Deshaun Watson acquisition and being just overall disgusted by that whole situation, and just Guardian stuff too, and then a lot of community impact. Like the NBA is back in town this week in Cleveland to kind of follow up on a lot of their All Star projects. So I'll be kind of focusing on that pretty intently just to really quantify how much that the league and that event brought into the city. And then other than that, we're running the show at fear the sword. We're, we're a fun, funky bunch there. And then I'm on locked on Cavs five days a week right now. We are just kind of doing player analysis, breakdowns, things like that. We're doing some draft stuff too, just as we get closer and closer. And then we're, we're, we're getting through the, uh, the desert of content right now where the Cavs have been away for a little bit but we're getting closer to having some actual tangible things to talk about before we have to go back into the desert and find another oasis that is summer league. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have some people on this pod, very excited for summer league. So um, there's some fun stuff uh, going on. I, I love Substacks, man, or, or the, uh, you know, Meta's version of them. I just, I love just having all the stuff I want to read curated for me in my email. It's, it's uh it's the best thing to exist in my opinion. Uh, but this has been great, Evan. We can't thank you enough. Again, go click the links to all this stuff down below. For Coop at Ali underscore Oop underscore Coop, I'm at Bryce under 14. Uh, remember to join us live during the draft on Twitch for uh, our, our live reactions and all that fun stuff. Um, this has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We hope we're ceiling. Thank you. We once again like to thank our sponsors at globalshopsolution.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at globalshopsolutions.com. Thank you.